Welcome back, everyone, to this very first episode of Drunk Bible Study Bonus Edition of 2022. Wow, here we are. This is amazing. I, I hope you all had a lovely holiday season and are ready for everything that the new year is going to give you. And we're going to talk about some stuff in Ezekiel. And specifically, I'm going to start out with, you know, this guy. <laughs> Which guy? <laughs> this uh, king of Tyre. Okay. Uh-huh. This, well, okay, okay. So interestingly, God slash Yahweh slash The Rock referred to him as the prince of Tyre. Oh, yeah. However... He was actually the king. Mm. And I looked up this thing called readtheharddparts.com. I'm which I'm like, okay, like read like a read a book. Read the hard parts. Read the readtheharddparts.com. Readtheharddparts.com, yeah. Colon, a drunk Bible study story. Is it only about the Bible? I believe it's only about the Bible, yeah. Wow. And so just so that everyone's aware, according to this, in Ezekiel 19 and... You know, from then on, Ezekiel refers to the last four kings of Israel as princes of Israel. Hmm. But... Okay. As like a diss on them? Exactly, because he wanted everyone to know that the real king of Israel was God, was Yahweh. That's fair. So some translations may use the word ruler instead of prince, but the idea is the same. Mm, Just to not call them king. Exactly. They're essentially huh. taking away the word king. Okay. So, yeah, they they mention this prince of Tyre, but he's actually the king. And, you know, most of the things that I looked up regarding this person, this prince slash king of Tyre, say that it actually is Satan. What? And <laughs> okay. I understand. Okay, well. I know. I get it. I get it. And I understand that all of you are going to be like, What? Uh, but <laughs> it was difficult to find any other explanation regarding this. But this has got to be like an evangelical Christian lens, right? I'm sure, yes. Yes, it is. But they're essentially saying that like this prince that they were talking about or this king that they were talking about was under the influence of Satan during this time. And it also talks about the fact that the king of Tyre is said to have been in the Garden of Eden. Which is kind of weird. I could see why they would take that to mean, okay. Okay. So clearly this actual king could not have been in the Garden of Eden because obviously that was like way, 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 way in the past of this time. But it's interesting. That is an interesting question. Yeah. Was that in there as a dig against him even in their time? Or was this only something people have put on it in more modern times to say that, oh, they must have, he must be the devil. Or what were they doing a dig? Was it like, ah, oh, you're the serpent, right? Because you've been there since then. Or was he well, sure. like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that is a question. But they're saying also that the king of Tyre is not described as human at all, that he's described as this like cherubic guardian, angelic being. Which we talked about. I am so turned around. Is he the devil or is he an angel? Or well, is he one of each? Well, on the each devil was the shoulders. fallen angel, right? Or a Satan was it? That's least. true. That's fair. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yes. Fair. It says because of his pride, he was thrown down from the mountain of God to the earth. But unlike how Satan and God are portrayed in movies, books, and cartoons, Satan and God are not equally powerful enemies warring with one another. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they are. Hmm. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. But it says, yeah, essentially that 
he is appointed for Satan or he is Satan or he's being influenced by Satan and he is going to eventually come to a horrible end. And they talk briefly in this thing, like readtheharddparts.com about Revelation 20, which is, you know, not going to happen yet, but I can't wait till it does, as we all know. Also, <laughs> they did this really beautiful infographic, which I'm just, I, I'm going to post it in the chat here. Um, and then I really hope that I can put it in our Drunk Bible Study Fans and Fellowship because it's very funny. Okay, so I'm just going to read this infographic. I don't understand why this needed to be an infographic. I can just tell you just from first glance. It could have been a bulleted list. I know. It really <laughs> didn't need to be. It didn't need to be an inf- but could have been I a loved- text, really. Okay. Uh, yeah. So should I can I can I describe this infographic? Yes, please do. And I love how when I like pulled it away and and put it in my desktop, it was like Satan infographic.jpg. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Amazing. <good>. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so across the top it says what Satan's backstory tells us. Number one, Satan is a created being. And and there's a picture. He does of not the world. have the same yeah. yeah, he doesn't have the same eternal qualities that God. I has. don't know, maybe. Number two, God is in control. And there's a picture of a a crown. <laughs> very European crown. A very European crown, yes. Yeah. God is in charge of Satan in the past, present, and future. Is he? Number three, Satan is motivated by pride. Here's a picture of some mountains. <laughs> the classic symbol of pride. Classic. Now we know how serious it is to rely on the Holy Spirit to resist pride in our own lives. And number four, God tells us what we need to know. And this is a, that like, I don't understand hmm. what's going on emoji. Like the guy was holding his hand up to his face and his hmm. brow is kind of furred. He's like, what the hell? I was curious about where Satan came from in Genesis. Now we know. Why is this an infographic? (laughs) There's literally nothing else that's being told to me by laying it out in this way. In this format, yeah. It just, yeah, yeah, this read the hard part seems to think that we need to know Satan's backstory, seems to think that the king of Tyre is Satan. And it, I'm just going to say it kind of makes sense in the context of the way in which this person was portrayed because they were portrayed as this sort of higher, holier-than-thou individual that is kind of the, has this sort of fall from grace thing hmm. that happens to them. So I guess I, it was interesting. And literally, like, every single thing I clicked on was like, you Satan, you Satan, you Satan. So... Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's other interpretations out there, but not that I found. Well, maybe something that'll be helpful to us is I just went to readthehardparts.com and one of their front page blog posts is clarifying the fact that the Bible book is called Revelation, not Revelations. Mm. So we should Which, be careful about that. Yes. I have been saying anytime that book oh. comes up, I, I've been trying to correct us. It's Revelation. Because it's, it's the Revelation as seen by John the Revelator or whatever. Like okay. that there's like oh, a God. longer title version of it, but it's the revelation seen by so and so, not multiple revelations. Multiple revelations. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Well cool. Um the other thing that I looked up was this battle, this like basically Nebuchadrezzar taking over Egypt. Oh yeah. And it was essentially this battle of Carchemish, which you can find on Wikipedia. It was fought in 605 BC between the armies of Egypt, allied with the remnants of the army of the former Assyrian Empire against Babylonia. 
And they were allied with a bunch of other people too. And yeah, they're in this Ezekiel chapter 30. Also, they talk about it in Jeremiah, which is interesting. Yes, I Um, remember him mentioning this. Yes. Kind of also predicting that Egypt was going to get conquered. Because remember, Jeremiah did a similar trajectory of talking about how terrible Mm -hmm. we are and then what all the terrible things are going to happen to everyone else around us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and he, he talked about this too. But then... So what, I mean, did it did it happen? Is yeah, Egypt says, secretly controlled by Babylonia and we've never well, known it? Like, what's it the says, story here? When Haran was captured by the alliance, the alliance of, I think, the the people, let's say, the Assyrian capital, Nivea, was overrun by the Medes, Scythlians, and Babylonians. Did you just say Nivea? No, Medes? Did you mean Nineveh? Oh, Nit. Say that again. Nineveh? Nivea, like the cosmetics? Like the lotion. Nivea, like yeah. The lotion. Oh, okay. That's where that comes oh, from. Oh, is it spelled that way? Nin, Nineveh. Nineveh? Nineveh. Oh, Nineveh. Nineveh. Okay. okay. Was, thank you, Dunner. Was <laughs> overrun by the Medes, Scythians, Scythians, Babylonians and their allies in 612 BC. The Assyrians moved their capital to Haran, when Haran was captured by the alliance in 609 BC, ending the Assyrian Empire, remnants of the Assyrian army joined Carchemish, a city under Egyptian rule on the Euphrates River. And then Egypt okay. was allied with the Assyrian king and marched in 609 BC to his aid against the Babylonians. And then the battle, the Egyptians met the full might of the Babylonian and Median Empire, led by Nebuchadrezzar II at Carchemish, where they combined Egyptian and and Assyrian forces, and they were destroyed. Assyria ceased to exist as an independent power, and Egypt retreated and was no longer a significant force in the ancient Near East. Babylonia reached its economic peak after 605 BC. Goodness gracious. I see. So I guess so, during this time. So Babylonia got real strong, conquered Assyria, which was pals with Egypt, never actually conquered Egypt, but did destroy a lot of their armies. So they kind of went back and were Egypt like... Egypt decided to go back, 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 back. We're going to focus on just like polishing our pyramids and doing yeah. <laughs> amazing stuff with like agriculture o- and up. technology and things like that. And doing other stuff, yeah. Not, and not fighting so much. Yeah, so I think, okay. again, All right. that's an interesting... What you were talking about before, Dedeker, is that it's probably people like kind of placing like, oh, Egypt was no longer a thing on this mm. battle that potentially that happened, mm. that did happen. Mm. But it wasn't that Egypt got conquered per se. It was rather that they decided to like retreat when they were helping somebody else. <laughs> okay. Well, right. I do have some more insight about that, but I'll oh, save really? it for oh, good. my bit. For your turn. Okay. All right, Jace, you're next. Okay, yeah. All right, so we're going to have a brief intermission between both of you talking about related things to talk about the Psalms and Asaph. And oh. What, what, what this bro is all about. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So we, we've entered this third section of Psalms. And we're reading several Psalms by Asaph. We actually read one Psalm by him before. Psalm 50 was also by him. Hmm. Uh, but then now Psalm 73, which we read today, through 83. So 11 or 10 more after today, I guess. Uh, that many Psalms are by him. And so who is he? What's his deal? Who is he? So essentially, there's a few options. One is that it's, it could be 
um, a collection of psalms by the Asaphites, which are, you know, kind of like we would say the Levites or the Benjamites or whatever, but kind of like how we say Levites and what we really mean is priests, right? The Asaphites were Levites also. So they were part of that larger grouping, Um, but they kind of became the temple singers. So it could be just a reference to this is by the temple singers. Ooh. That, that oh, hot group fun. that everyone loves, right? Love them. Who apparently does that sweet lounge music that you put on. Right. <laughs> right. So so it could be that it's by the Asaphites, which became this term for the temple singers. Or it could be that it's just in the style of the genre made popular by the oh temple my God. singers. Like a cover band <laughs> wow. of the temple like a singers? Cover ba- right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Another possibility is that Asaph himself, uh, who we'll talk about in a second here, that he was either the author or maybe just the transcriber, and these were still by David. Mm. People still can't let go of them being by David. Uh, Everyone loves David. Okay, but was this David trying to rebrand, trying to put out psalms Mm. under a different name because people are kind of sick of after 70-plus psalms? How can you be sick of David? (laughs) Well, so he's God's these, special boy. <laughs> yes. So one of the things about these psalms is that we don't have a clear moment in time when they are, except for the fact that they make references to the destruction of the temples and stuff, which means it was the post-exilic period, uh, which would have been after David's time. So it was this, he wrote them down and like, or, or maybe he wrote most of them down from David and also wrote a couple of his own with knowledge that he had later on or something. I'm not, not quite sure. Not quite sure. So as far as this Asaph person, though, we have actually talked about this dude in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'd forgotten okay. about it. But so um, way back in David's time, when we were, when we were reading about David, uh, he commissioned three Levites to be in charge of the singing and the music in the house of Yahweh. Okay. Uh, So we talked about this a little bit in Kings, but I guess they go into more depth in Chronicles. So it's possible that we haven't totally gotten this. But he appoints a guy named He-Man to be the main musician. (laughs) He-Man! Do you remember He-Man? I I remember that one. How can we forget (laughs) He-Man? So he appoints a man named He-Man to be the main singer. And then Asaph is sort of his right-hand assistant. Um, and then the Merorites are his left-hand assistant. So I don't know who the Merorites are, but Asaph was sort of like first assistant director of the music program at the temple. <laughs> Slash, in, in another part in Chronicles, it says that he was appointed as a temple singer and cymbal player. Ooh. So he was ding, 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 along with, with all of the singing that they did. Just with the Amazing. Yeah. But so as far as like what we can actually look for in the Psalms though, this, so remember when I was talking about like the Lord TMTM or like God TMTM, mm-hmm. uh, because there was that little uh, superscript, like a footnote kind of a thing. And it was clarifying which translation of the word was being used, whether it was Elohim or Yahweh or Adonai. And so the Asaph Psalms are part of what's, been identified as the Elohist version or the Elohist source. Okay. Remember we talked about this before, way back in when we were reading the Pentateuch? We were talking about the different sources, that there's like the priestly source and the Yahwist and the Elohist mm-hmm. and, you know, other, and the 
Deuteronomists and like that kind of stuff. So the thing that identifies the Elohists, which modern day scholars argue maybe wasn't a distinct source, but in any case, what identifies them is that they don't use the word Yahweh very much. Oh, huh. And that they're, you know, a, a fairly commonly held belief, I guess, amongst Jewish scholars is that Yahweh is this like sort of slightly incorrect version of the unpronounceable name. And oh. so some people will say like, you don't ever say Yahweh, like that that's, you're not supposed to ever say that name. And okay. so they would say Elohim or Adonai or some other name instead. So that's kind of what identifies the Elohists, which huh. we've read some of, you know, they were, you know, parts of the Elohist writings were in the Pentateuch that we read. But anyway, all of Asaph is the Elohist sort of section of Psalms. So just in your mind, you're thinking it's not Yahweh, he's saying Elohim or something else. Okay. I will think that the whole time. <laughs> Which is also why I've been trying in our commentary about the Bible to, you know, we read Yahweh because we're reading what's in the World English Bible. But when I talk about him, I try to say God instead of Yahweh to kind of be like, well, mm. maybe it's not appropriate for me to be saying this word out of context or something. That's so fair. I don't know. So That's I'm trying fair. to be respectful and saying God, but maybe we could say Elohim instead. I don't know. Okay. And that's what I got. Wow. Sweet. It's a lot of information. Um, yeah, it is. Okay, so I looked up a couple things. The first one I looked up was that line about their loins standing. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, what, what was up right, with that? Right, the cane broke and then their loins yeah, stood up. Yeah, so okay, it's yeah. Ezekiel 29.7, and, and I think this is the King James Version. Uh, when they took hold of thee by thy hand, thou didst break and rend all their shoulder. And when they leaned upon thee, thou breakest and madest all their loins to be at a stand. Mm which I know the image that comes to my mind when I think about someone's loins being at a stand. Yeah. And so I looked up the commentary and people really struggle with this one. <laughs> Boy, howdy. I'm sure they do. I couldn't even find something yeah. on the Hermeneutic Stack Exchange. I thought for sure someone huh. on the Hermeneutic yeah. Stack Exchange would be like, what does this mean? But I couldn't even find it. I did find some commentaries. Um, the Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible commentary says... <laughs> Uh, made us their loins at a stand. That is, made them to be disabled. Uh, Morer, somewhat similarly, says, thou hast stricken both their loins. Uh, Fairbane also says, thou lettest all their loins stand. That is, by themselves, bereft the support which they looked for from thee. Uh, so this is like a weird roundabout. Okay. Oh, there's, okay, there's the reed can't. They were leaning on the reed can't. So if they're standing, that means they don't have the support. So it's actually a bad thing. Mm, um, okay. That's one interpretation. Okay. okay. I really liked Ellicott's commentary for English readers that says, and he's very honest. He says, the expression is a difficult one, but the more probable sense is all their loins to shake. The reed breaks under the weight of the man who leans upon it and pierces his shoulder as he falls while in his consternation, his loins tremble. (laughs) (laughs) Trembling loins. Does that happen when you're consternated? Yeah, so he leaned on this reed. It broke, stabbed him in the shoulder weirdly. Ah. And that made him poop himself. (laughs) Because his loins tremble. Oh, that's how you're interpreting. That's <laughs> oh, interesting. That, that kind of loin. loin. That's how I interpret loins trembling. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, I would think of that oh. as like bowels trembling. If they said mm, bowels, yeah, okay. that's how. Right. Not necessarily a movement, but like a, a, I don't know, a hurt. Okay, so he peed himself. Uh, oh, okay, maybe. I, I was thinking know. more like an anxious kind of tummy upset. Like a, yeah, but your loins are lower than your tummy, aren't they? 
Well, but you're talking about pooping yourself. Yeah, that's a low... That's your intestines. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a low moment. I feel like, I feel like uh, you know, anatomy was not super accurate at this time. And they kind of... Because they use bowels to describe both your bum and also your tummy. A lot of things. It's kind of the whole system. Uh-huh. So I don't know what loins means. Okay, other interpretations, they switch it to like, oh, it makes your your back shake or or break or something like that. No one knows. How did they get to there from no one your loins knows? <laughs> wow. Okay. Nobody knows. That's what I got. Uh, now, for something completely different. So I looked up the Tower of Seven. Oh, yeah. Seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Mess around. Exactly. And now, oh, this is maybe the worst thing I could possibly look up because I just, I'm a little intoxicated. And as it turns out, the Tower of Seven is related to some conspiracy theories, some modern Whoa. day conspiracy theories based on the Bible Jeez. and just trying to understand <laughs> conspiracy <laughs> theories. And like, wait, what? Oh, gosh. Oh, you're just, you're just leaping around just willy nilly. Mm. So, yeah, they love that. So, okay, as we kind of predicted, though, when we're like, wait, but Egypt's still around, obviously this didn't come true. And we said like, well, you know, modern day Christians could always be like, oh, it has yet to happen. And 100%, that's what's going on here. Oh, that's what this is. Okay. Yes. Okay. So there's a number of Christian resources that are saying, this is definitely an end time prophecy. Whoa. Uh, oh, yes. Okay, yes. I love that. Um, I mean, it, basically everything in the Bible is, right? If you want it to be. If you want it to be, sure. So the way, let me see if I can, if I can lay out, if I can take my red yarn okay. yeah. and connect yeah. all the pieces on my pin board to help you understand how this is all related. So the Tower of Sevena, the Hebrew word is Sevena, but actually the word is Syene, the Tower of Syene, okay. which okay. is apparently also the same as the modern day city of Aswan. Oh, of course, that city we all and know where it is. That city we all know and love. Yeah, I'm like, cool. <laughs> and in modern day Aswan in 1970, they built a dam, a very important dam, which okay. Okay. many countries contributed money toward, actually. Mm. The UK um, and the US. And Russia was very significant in contributing money toward this, this particular project. So much okay. so that there's also a tower that was built at mm. the dam called the Lotus Tower that was kind of like a monument to... It's like a it's like a Russian Egyptian friendship monument. Okay. Okay. But for some reason, this tower, a bunch of Christians are like, that's that's the tower. That's the tower of Syene, because there was no tower back then. And also communist. Also communist. Communist. Okay, and let's follow the thread. Okay. And so uh -huh. therefore, sorry, I'm trying to keep it all straight in my brain. Therefore, this dam is key because if someone happens, what happened to say, drop a radioactive bomb on this dam, it could cause major destruction and flooding of Egypt. I saw in a blog, someone said 95% of Egypt's population lives south of this, like downriver from this dam. I don't know if that's true. I didn't do any fact checking huh. on that. That sounds pretty that sounds convenient. Like a wild percentage <laughs> yeah. past yes. this one dam. Yeah. Um, wow. And so they're like, so that means someone could destroy it and then there'd be this huge flooding and it would wipe out all of Egypt. And that's what they mean how Egypt's going to be uninhabited for, and desolate for 40 years. So it has yet to happen. It's going to happen. And then 
cut to the end. I really liked at the end of this particular blog mm. where this person uh-huh. was writing up this whole theory where they said, cleanup of the radioactive debris would be a staggering task. <laughs> I'm sure it would be. This- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me let me keep going. This massive project seems to extend into the early years of the millennium, but somehow it will be accomplished in the years following the tribulation, probably supervised by the Lord and his followers. Oh, of course. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> sure. Probably supervised by them. Yeah, don't don't probably worry. Probably how it. it's gonna yeah. go. I mean, yeah. this this Lotus Tower is a real thing. I looked it up. It looks cool. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Is it what's I mean? What's what's it like? I, mean, I don't know. Just like a, like a tower. I don't know. So people made a monument, and they're like, that thought was cool. It was designed in the 1970s. It's, oh, if you no Google point. the Lotus okay. Tower, oh, I see it does kind of look like a lotus at the top. Yeah, it's a little fun. bit lotusy. Mm. You Is know, it, and it's, it's, it was part of yeah. the dedication of the dam. Um, okay, you know so. Oh. But okay. apparently, a bunch of Christians seized on this and were like, "This is this is the thing hmm. that he meant," and so Egypt's going to go under. Lovely. That's okay. what I got. Under, underwater. It's going to go underwater. It's going to go underwater. That's, okay. And this Ezekiel's prophesying something that's going to happen in the future. Wow. Got it. <sighs> okay. Well, thank you for doing that research. Clearly, it caused yeah. you a lot, of, a lot it, of upset, a lot of trauma. I just, I really did need a pin board to connect all these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's all right. There's a lot of weirdness that happens in there the Bible. There really is. There really is. I, I promise you, if I went back to this and I wasn't drinking, I'd probably have a better handle on it. No worries. If I wanted to have a better handle on it. But we don't call it researched Bible study, do we? No, we it's don't. It's true. It's drunk Bible study. Dedeker, don't feel bad. That's what we're doing. We're drinking <laughs> and at times getting drunk. And uh, you know what? Sometimes that's okay, especially on Thursday nights when we bring you our lovely Drunk Bible Study. So everyone, we can't wait to see you in this new year. It's going to be a blast. And we will see you next week for more Drunk Bible Study. Cheers.